Hello, and welcome to the Wind Power Podcast. I'm Ian Griggs, Deputy Editor of Wind Power Monthly. The threat of cyber attacks on the wind industry's remote control systems for turbines and other equipment, as well as its internal IT software, is all too real, and it's growing by the day, with potentially disastrous consequences for companies which do not fully appreciate the dangers they face. As the industry increasingly relies on remote systems to control the operations of offshore wind farms, the so-called attack surface, that is to say the means of attack, grow with them. Meanwhile, the energy transition in which Europe in particular pivots away from Russian fossil fuels brings with it a higher likelihood of cyber attacks which originate from state actors. Recorded at the Wind Europe conference in Copenhagen last month, I spoke to three cybersecurity experts about the nature of the threat and how the wind industry can effectively guard itself against them. One spoiler alert in the meantime, though, it helps a lot if you actually switch your cyber protection systems on in the first place. Good afternoon. My name is uh, Boyo Tranum. I'm the Director of Cybersecurity Services for the NV, uh, mainly working uh, on OT cybersecurity and uh, protecting asset installations from cybercrime. Fantastic, thank you. I'm Bart van den Bosse. I work with Ebo Enterprises. I'm an IT architect. I've been busy in the offshore wind for more than 10 years at this moment. So experiences in building the secure environments, um, the networking environment, so the industrial networking and the data center running behind it. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. So I am Theo de Nut and I'm a security engineer at Ebo Enterprises. I have a background in ethical hacking and technical pen testing. Uh, and uh, eight years of experience in OT security, OT-related protocols and reversing these protocols and so on. That's lovely. Thanks very much indeed for introducing yourself, gentlemen. What, for you, is the single biggest cybersecurity threat to the wind industry at this moment, Boya? I'm not sure there's one single thing, but there's a couple the risk around supply chains. Uh, and we're talking about suppliers and sub-suppliers to assets, not the electrical supply chain, but those who are supplying, uh, have control over cyber requirements and cyber maturity in the supply chain is one of them. And of course, the other one is uh, ransomware that is that is hitting everybody. And in addition to that, we can see the, the IT-OT convergence, and that creates some um, challenges, opportunities for hackers, challenges for operators. Just for the benefit of those who are not quite as well-versed in cybersecurity as you are, can you just define IT versus OT for us? OT in our world is the systems that are controlling the assets, the SCADA systems that are controlling physical things, the wind turbines, the substations. The IT side is what you have in your office. Thank you very much. And Bartol, what's the single biggest threat for you as far as you're concerned? I have to agree uh, with our colleague here, but uh, actually behind all this, it's always people. People at the end make decisions. They do something or don't do something. At this moment, it's more doing something that can hurt the environment. So it's all about controlling the people and the access to your environment because from the beginning, offshore wind farms, they have been designed to run from remote because they are unmanned. So in these environments, we're already looking a long time of making it secure. But like you say, also the supply chain, because not all third parties are aware of the cybersecurity. They just want to have their job done and as easy as possible. Yes. And this is causing a lot of risk because they, they bring in equipment that you don't under, have under control. They want remote access for the, the smallest things that you don't have any control about. And all of that remote access, I'm assuming, just allows more opportunities for somebody unwanted to access that system. 
Yes, indeed. And then where it also comes in, uh, keeping your IT and OT separated. It's very important. Okay. Julia, anything to add to this? Yeah, sure. For me, the biggest threat is indeed also your biggest asset, which is the people themselves, is that especially in OT environments, the, the phishing campaigns, the actions, the social engineering. So all attacks are more targeted towards people working in an environment rather than the technical access or, or attack surface. So we notice that on one side, the people People are the biggest threats for your environment. They can uh, hand out their passwords via phishing emails, or they click on malicious links, or they enable ransomware. In, in like 80% of all viruses and ransomware, it's somewhere in the chain there's a, a person who has done something wrong, let's say. But they're also your first defenders because they can notice when something goes wrong often uh, faster than many IT security products. That's really interesting. So people are both the weakest link, but also the best defense. Boyer, are systems in the field, such as wind farms and the grid infrastructure, with their capacity for remote access, more susceptible to cyber attacks? Yeah, I would say yes. One of my key messages here is that preventing cyber events in any installation is an ongoing activity. It's not a one-off thing you do. You can split it in two. What is that ongoing event? It's about governance, that your organization is mature and know what to do and who is doing what. The other part is the technical mechanisms to protect. And that is the antivirus and, and the firewalls and so forth. And so my message is cybersecurity is a discipline. You need to keep it alive all the time. Presumably everybody's responsibility rather than one person. Well, it's the responsibility is now being clearly stated in the NIST 2 directive. It's the manager, the CEO and the chairman of the board that is responsible for the operation. Right. That comes with the NIST 2. But would you like to add to that at all? Yeah, it's, it's all about the attack surface uh, of your environment. Uh, the more you do remote, the bigger your attack surface because yeah, attackers always try to come in from a remote uh, connection. So keeping this safe and keeping your people aware of what they are doing, that's the biggest thing. It's very hard these days because not everybody is an IT, OT specialist. Uh, look at your home environments, the, the phishing mails you get. Uh, I'm afraid for my own family and I have to keep on, on telling them be aware of this and this and this. It's even for me difficult. How can you protect this? That's that's very difficult. So I think remote access is indeed something that has grown last years and has become larger issue, especially also during the COVID uh, years. I actually have a scanner running at home that scans the internet for public-facing devices, PLCs and things like that. We did see a very large incline in devices like that who are connected directly to the internet, probably due to COVID and other remote access procedures. And yes. that's, of course, not so secure. So the attack service has increased in the last couple of years. We've all got used to this remoteness, basically, and being uh, less connected in person, but more connected via the internet, etc. Another comment on that. More and more companies are using VPN and secure connections, uh, which is good. But they can be uh, misconfigured and you can right. forget to, to use them. Okay. Uh, and that, that, is a, that is a challenge in itself. Encryption mechanisms are there, VPNs are there, yes. but you need to use them. They need to be on all the time. And that needs continuous checking, right? 
I wonder, and I'll, I'll come to you first, actually, if I might. What's the nature of the cybersecurity risk for wind industry companies in terms of their internal systems? How should that be met? I think if we we're talking about risk management, and then we have the energy market, and then the impact becomes a larger deal still than in man- other manufacturing environments. The, the the risk, if something does go wrong, if production is halted, then in the energy wind farm, you often have, get like this domino effect that things keep on going wrong and the impact is much larger than it can be in a lot of other uh, environments. Okay, uh, but people look at it, it's, it's an offshore environment, so we don't have to protect this as much for physical access because you only can get there by a boat. Uh, yes. So why put locks on the doors? Yeah, you have to put locks on your doors because there's all kind of people all day long on the substations. There are painters, there are people from the air conditioning, there are people for God knows whatever <laughs> they're coming to do there. So... Yeah, you need to also to protect your physical environment with locks, with with um, access control that you know at all time who is where. Not only for the protection of these people themselves, because it's it's a very dangerous environment. And if something goes wrong, the ambulance is not there in in five minutes. So, but also for the security, because yeah, we are facing strange times at this moment. But people infiltrating in these uh, environments, it's a reality at this moment. We have to be very aware of this. If you look at the North Sea, what is happening there with some vessels uh, surveying cables. So yes. there might also be people there who come paint and have some other interests also in your environment. I, th- I think you're referring there, but to a news story in which a, a Danish film crew filmed what was a suspected to be a Russian spy ship scouting out wind farm infrastructure. Yeah, exactly. That's yes. what I'm referring to. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, boy, what's your, your view? Well, yeah, the- you asked about the nature of the cybersecurity. I think a little bit of the nature is that the lack of what the cyber risk level is. So many organizations are missing the risk picture. You don't know what kind of risks you're up against. It comes a little bit back to inconsistent governance, uh, that you don't have the processes and the responsibilities in place. And then you can talk about what does this, this, the nature of the lack of the risk awareness lead to, can lead to physical damage in the OT environment. And that is much worse than blue screen. So this is the first step is actually you've got to assess the risk first. You need to understand your risk and then you need to take mitigating actions accordingly. And they could be technical, they could be procedural, and they could be responsibility-wise, roles and responsibilities. Okay. Where are the most significant cyber attacks on the wind industry coming from? Are we talking about state actors, groups trying to achieve financial gain, or hackers for their own motives? Boy, do you want to kick us off on this? Cyber attack is a mean to harm you. If it hadn't been for adversaries that somebody wants to harm you, you didn't need cybersecurity prevention at all. It's a way to harm and it's a way to steal. The higher the tension in the market to critical assets like energy production facilities, the more pronounced you are for being cyber misused. Can I push you there to say where does the most significant level of risk come from in today's world? Yeah, it's um, let me be a little bit careful, but also a little bit direct. Uh, we do have these APT groups. Uh, they are the groups that are specializing, right, in, in being uh, being stealth. Uh, they are specializing in getting into systems and aware and just residing there. And they make back doors that can be opened when you need them or when somebody asks you to open them. And that somebody can be somebody that wants to interrupt something. Could be nations, 
And we see this, there's a high attention now in the, in the energy market in Europe because of the conflict in Ukraine. Right? And that creates a, a high risk picture on the energy suppliers. But where's the most significant area of risk as far as you're concerned? Well, it's like uh, Boyd said, um, we have to be very aware of the governmental influences at this point. They stay off the radar as long as possible and they wait until their moment is there because they, they want to put you out of business. And the other ones just want to make some money or, and the other ones just want to have some fun sometimes. They don't know the impact sometimes. Yeah, from Europe side, we are warned that we have to be very aware that this is possible. And this is also our biggest scare at this moment that we don't actually see what is happening. This is a technological uh, challenge for us to make this visible if something is there and to make our systems aware to all changes, all, all things that are not normal in your network, in your environment that you can take action at that time. So the problem here is that you may have been hacked and not even know about it because a backdoor has been created. Completely true. One example that happens quite a lot right now is, for example, that certain threat actor groups, ATP groups, they, they start scanning for vulnerabilities or they send out large phishing campaigns and they get a foothold somewhere in your environment, for example, a vulnerability in a firewall. First thing they do is they install a backdoor with a common username and the passwords that they know themselves. And those details are then on the black market for sale. So we have have actually several attack groups working together or with a block market somewhere on the dark deep web where those details are being sold and then it, it comes down to visibility to know that these details are changed in your environment or somewhere in your network. Another way is to go for threat intelligence and there are companies actually specialized in scanning the deep web looking for this data that is on sale because they, they look at the name of the company and then the login details they put them on sales your company could be one of them but that's how we currently see a lot of attacks happen and then it's just waiting for another threat actor to buy those details and then perform the action, perform the ransomware or whatever they want. That can be a government, I assume, but we wouldn't know. Can you just tell us what an ATP group is? That's actually an organized crime hacking group. There are several. ATP29 is a large one currently. And they, they are actually working for a, a lot like a business. They're even on Instagram and on Facebook let, letting the world know that they have a day of holiday. Right. You can even see it in the attacks happening that they have happened between 9 o'clock and 5 in the evening because those ATP groups have a clock on that they work on. Hacking in business hours? Very much so, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, okay. it's true. Do they wear a suit? to the office as well, do you think? Or, <laughs> or maybe for this? At some anonymous masks. <laughs> of course, um, the APT stands for Advanced Persistent Threat Groups. They are professional hackers and they are motivated when it gets difficult. So the more technical mechanisms you put into place to prevent them from hacking, the more motivated they get to get through you. It's a continuous challenge. So you're up against the best. That is why cybersecurity warfare is ongoing continuously. So it's white hats versus black hats. It's, an, it's a never-ending. And the speed that, that these things happen is also faster and faster, where uh, between the, some vulnerability being found or released on the internet and then these advanced persistent threat groups actually abusing that vulnerability sometimes four or five hours. Wow. So if you want to do your patchwork, it's, it's almost impossible to do. So it, Okay, so you better be actually secure in the first place because actually if a vulnerability is found, it will be exploited pretty quickly. Let's talk about solutions. What wind farm developers should do to protect their wind farms. But I'm going to start with you on this one because I've seen you bring an entire model wind farm to a halt using a smartphone, which you demonstrated to me once at the last conference I was at. So tell me, what, what should developers do to uh, prevent these sorts of things from happening? 
this is fairly also quite new because yeah, we're looking at changes inside your environment. And what I showed you last time was actually an, an, yeah, a change on the network by a new uh, smartphone on the network, which hacks presumably into the Wi-Fi network. And there, believe it or not, there are still environments where you can access the, the control networks through the, <laughs> through the Wi-Fi. What we did in the demonstration was actually showing this with intrusion detection that something happened on your network, new MAC address was found on the network. Okay, that, that could be normal because there, there are technicians in the environment which connect with their smartphone, with their, with their laptops. But then this smartphone suddenly starts sending uh, Modbus IP commands to, to uh, PLC and that's very strange. These are things we have to start acting on, but it's very hard to do this as a person. So we actually need a lot of... AI, because uh, there might be so many false positives, and you have to filter out the ones that are, are really a threat. And as a person, it's this is getting almost impossible to do this. So we are depending more and more on this AI and on this equipment and on these applications, which try to keep you safe. It's over with just installing an antivirus on your environment. You have to marry with the devil a little bit, <laughs> but uh, it's like this, yeah. Okay, um, uh, but Boyer, would you like to uh, tell us how developers should protect themselves? Of course. That's what we live. Exactly. That's what you do. That's what we do. And there are several steps you can do. I think one of the, the most important one is that the saying that is not if you're getting attacked, it's when you're getting attacked. Okay. So that is true. Your ability to get back into normal operation quickly, that is something everybody needs to be aware of and train for and be prepared for. So get back into normal operations when you are attacked, because it will happen. Then there's a whole range of things you can do to make it less likely that you are affected. Use encryption in your remote connection is one thing. Uh, continuously upgrade your security on your installations. Install intrusion detection, intrusion protection mechanisms, and train for when things are happening. Like safety exercises, yes. right? Yes, yes. Explosions and things, you're, you're exercising. Do that also in a cyber event. This is a question for you, Tilla. Do you need white hat hackers to do what Boyer's talking about there, to do these exercises? So you're going to hack my system and show me you know, how easy it is to do. And in the meantime, some people on my side are going to try to protect me from your hack. Is that what we should do? That can be a part of it, but there's a difficulty when it comes to OT as compared to IT. Yeah. In OT environments, in, it's typical a bit more legacy, a bit older, so it is also harder to turn off and on again uh, because uh, these devices are made to be run 24-7, often years at a time. Yes. So patching, updating, rebooting, that's not as easy as in the IT, cannot be down. Uh, encryption is not supported. Those devices have no firewalls, have no authentication no passwords, no possibilities for passwords even. So it is still a difficult exercise to perform, but also for white hat hackers, the hackers, the pen testers that try to do this in a proper way without uh, impacting the production, yes. it's even more harder because if a black hat hacker does something wrong, production goes down, success. Yes. If a white hat hacker does something wrong, then it's a big impact. So we don't really suggest any white hat hacker on your production environment for pen testing, especially not while it's in production. You have acceptance tests and maintenance windows, then maybe, but not in production. We do not recommend that. So this is a much harder exercise to perform or to secure your OT environment, so your ICS, your industrial environment 
environment as opposed to the IT environment. Are we seeing the number of cyber attacks on the wind industry increasing as time goes on? And if so, why do you think that is? Yes, the curve is going up. And of course, because the number of projects is going up exponentially, right? And the importance of that energy they are producing is even more important to your energy mix in your country. Uh, We will see more. We have one very simple advice we are giving everybody. Read the manual from the suppliers, right? Most of the system suppliers, they have some mechanisms there. But they are provided with default accounts, with default passwords. Change them. Because they are very easily overseen. This is called hardening. Make your system robust, at least with the mechanisms that they come with. We have a phrase in the UK, which is RTFM, which I won't fully translate. But yes, uh, I, I think I understand. But are we seeing the number of attacks increasing? Yeah, sure. Because yeah, there's money to, to be made. So <laughs> when there's money, then the attacks are going to increase. You can monitoring this. It's more disturbing if you watch this than not watching this. because you. you but when you actually see it, it, you don't sleep good at that night when you see it. <laughs> Not conducive to a good night's sleep. Okay. Let's talk about uh, the cyber threat in a geopolitical context now. Has the threat of potential cyber attacks increased since the start of the war in Ukraine? I do think yes, because the tension in, in the society has, has increased. And we see that because the willingness to interrupt something has increased. And the ability uh, they have is there. The resources available to do these hacking activities are there. And when that is, that is in place, you have an adversary that has a motive. Yeah, the motive is, is to interrupt energy supply, to destabilize uh, your society. So when, when the tension is going up in the world, that is what your adversaries want to, want to do. Let's not tiptoe around this too much. Are we talking about Russia attempting to interrupt the build-out of renewable energy because of the fact that Europe has determinedly attempted to pivot away from Russian fossil fuels. Yeah, I, I agree, but I also don't really have a definitive insight in that, of course. I also do think that the attacks are always on the rise. So the question is, is it more since the war on Ukraine has started? And that's difficult to answer because it's always been on the rise. But indeed, if there was anything lurking within Russia, for example, then this was, would have now been released and having the green light to do whatever they want. And we did see an increase in attacks if you follow the threat intelligence and the sources of some of the attacks that we do notice. Then, then yes, indeed, there is more activity coming from Russia, specifically uh, directed towards the, the central grid, for example, the dynal service attacks. Very shortly after the war started, there was a large one in Belgium that I recollect that is probably from Russia. I appreciate that you can't say definitively that it's coming from them. I wonder whether these back doors, which you all referred to earlier, which have been installed, are now busily being opened to sort of destabilize this renewable energy rollout. The idea of renewable energy rollout is, of course, to make Europe more secure in its energy supply. Of course, this is something which other actors would prefer not to happen. Is that right, Bart? Well, yeah, but it won't stop the change to renewables. It, it will delay it. Perhaps it will hurt us, but it's common sense that they will do this, that will try to do this, because we would do the same thing. Yeah, it's a strategic necessity on both sides, presumably. Yeah, indeed. So as the EU looks to pivot from using Russian energy sources towards more renewable energy as quickly as possible, what effects 
will that policy shift have on the likelihood of cyber attacks and cyber security in general? I think it will have two effects. First of all, the speed of development of new projects is, is increasing. So the, there's more activity. And that mixed with the lack of expertise in cybersecurity is a bad mix. So shortcuts will be taken for doing it properly. And that together with the lack of experience to, uh, to mitigate over time. I think is, is, a, is a challenge. We're desperate to get this renewable energy done as quickly as we possibly can. The pressure is from society, it's from some of the political establishment now, but we just don't quite have the expertise to match it. And at the same time comes the NIST 2 directive that yes. puts the responsibility to the CEO. You can't say, I didn't know anymore. It's right, okay, it's not good enough. And you have to report it. Okay. About Attila. We need our people, right? They're the, the first ones to get attacked, but they're also your best line of defense to detect an attack in progress. So I think awareness and training for the new wind farms, the new energy that is coming up, or the new environments, the new installations that are coming, I think that is very important, and that's, that's something that could be, could be a very high risk, because training, awareness, needs time, and if we take shortcuts. Those are usually the first things that are cut away. It's funny that you say that one of the first things to go when you're, you're cutting corners is, is cybersecurity because it has, from what you've told me here, alarming effects for the entire renewable energy rollout. When we look at this moment at all new projects, all new projects start with cybersecurity. Uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, cybersecurity was the last question you get. Now is the first one you get. Okay. So if you are not cybersecure aware, then you, you can't compete. <laughs> so there is a lot of pressure from the industry to be aware of it and to, to work according to the regulations. And they are aware. Two years ago, not so much, but now at this moment when we see at this fair, everybody talks about cybersecurity. If you have to follow the regulation, it's difficult to, to cut the corners. And if you start with a good design already, uh, defense in layers, and that's already making an adversary a little bit more difficult, at least. You said everybody at the conference is talking about it. Um, I, I'm interested, what are delegates saying to you that they're most worried about in terms of cybersecurity for their own companies? They're more afraid of NIST 2, I think, sometimes than from hackers. Right, right. okay, so they're more afraid of their own liability. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I would say we from DNV did an investigation about, about those questions. What are the, the, the challenges that are ahead of the, the senior executives in, in, in this business? Two-thirds of them say they will digitalize even more. The same number regard cybersecurity as the third largest risk they have, in addition to financial and kind of the resistance to change. So it's definitely on the table. So that is very good. The, the, the challenging part is that we need to have enough people to understand what it means. Right, yes. Right. To unpick this and what the nature of the threat yeah. is and how yeah. to meet that threat. Just like every area of the wind industry, it seems, um, more skilled people are needed in the space, right? Okay, finally, gentlemen, um, should the wind industry anticipate more cyber threats resulting from the sort of collateral damage which Enercon experienced last year when a satellite it used to monitor and control its turbines was hit by a cyber attack? I don't actually think it's a good design if you just depend on one 
channel to, to monitor your environment. The best thing is to have redundancy. And redundancy can be, the satellite can be the redundancy, but look at fiber connections, look at line of sight connections, microwave. There's so many possibilities to get connected these days. And only depending on one of them, then you're looking a little bit for it, I think. It sounds a bit like you think Enercon was caught napping. Well, that's cutting corners, I think, because it's cheaper only have one connectivity. Okay, okay. More collateral da damage, Tila? Yes, yes, I do think so, indeed. And, and it's also part of the cybersecurity that you have redundancy in as many of the different conduits that's that as possible within the entire organization, especially in the industrial part of it. So, yes, I think uh, that is certainly the case. Uh, Boyer, do you want to see us out with this on what your view is of the collateral damage which uh, the wind industry might experience? Unfortunately, yes. Okay. Yes, I think the risk is higher. Uh, one of the reasons is that most of the protective mechanisms are controlled by computers. And you could put two protective meshes uh, after each other to make it extra secure, but both of them are controlled by computers, and they can both be compromised at the same time. So that is the challenge, and that is, that is the case in OT environments. More and more protective measures are controlled by computer systems or PLCs, something that, that can be controlled from a keyboard. Your risk for being, uh, having collateral damage is higher. There's some sobering thoughts there, gentlemen, and I appreciate you uh, sharing them with us. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us for the Wind Power Podcast. Thank you very much, Boya. Thank you very much for having me. And Bart. Thank you also. And Antila, thank you. Thank you. Thanks again. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Wind Power Podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode to explore the issues which are driving the wind industry. In the meantime, for the latest news, expert opinion and analysis, visit windpowermonthly.co.uk for daily updates or to sign up for one of our specialist bulletins, delivered straight to your inbox.